This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Thank you everybody for tuning into another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcasts in the world, hosted by two guys who at one point owned Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. With me, as always, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the show. And we're so excited to bring you this. And thank you for always listening. Also, we recently passed the half a million download mark. For the show, that is a lot of people listening to us for a long time. So we really appreciate that. And Elon, I think there's also a point of clarity that we need to get out of the way right this instant. What requires, like, what are the parameters for the yes at the start? Because it morphed into the initial yes, into fun stuff, and then player names. But Pavlik, there's no yes in (laughs) Pavlik. But there is a yeah. So it's like most of the word. Pavlik. That's what counts, I think. More like Pavel Yuck. You know, all right. Well, we'll get we'll get to that in the show. We'll see if he's Pavel Yuck or Pavel Yuck. I'm just kidding. I'm just antagonizing right off the bat. Yeah, okay. Well, hey, you know, it's been, what do you say, half a million downloads? We've got to give these people something new. They're going to go download another show a half a million times. So got to keep it fresh. we got a lot for you guys today. Big, long list of players we want to talk about. All the news that happened last week. Matthew in the chat room here is shaming us. For saying at one point, owning Eric Carlson in our keeper pools. You know what? Our keeper pools folded. It's not like we chose no longer to keep Carlson. Like, sometimes a pool ends. You got to start a new pool. I tried to draft. You You guys heard the story. I tried to draft Carlson. I got sniped on him in the first round, like fifth overall. What could I do? Okay, Brian, before we get into everything, let's mention that we are presented by DubberHockey.com, the best fantasy hockey website out there, which is a very important resource to use as you're heading towards your fantasy hockey playoffs. You've got all of the articles every day. It's time to read your daily ramblings. Right, every morning that should be part of your routine. You wake up, you brush your teeth, you read the daily ramblings because that's what's going to give you all the tidbits from the previous night to help you decide oh, what pickups do you need to make, any moves that you might want to make in order to be set for the fantasy hockey playoffs and take yourself to a championship. Also, of course, the line combinations and starting goalies, everything you need, it's all there. Dauberhockey.com, yeah, as well as Dauber's mid season fantasy hockey guide. I think this is last week we'll mention it, but this is a really important guide mid season might feel like you have a long way to go, like when you get to game 40 or 45, but your fantasy playoffs start before the end of the regular season. So we're not in mid-season yet. We're like two-thirds of the way, maybe even three-quarters, depending on your playoff setup anyway. What's going to help you get to the playoffs if you're not in them yet and succeed through 
is all the advice that you'll find in Dauber Hockey's 2017 midseason guide on sale now at daubersports.com slash shop for $9.99. Check out that guide. Let's get into it. We have to talk about the guy who I started the show with, Andre Pavlik called up. And am I Nostro Elon Domit? That was horrible. But okay, like I said last week, we were talking about how bad Hellebuck and Hutchinson have been. And I said, you know, I wonder if Winnipeg's going to call Pavlik up. And it's not like I saw anything. It just was a thought, random thought that I spouted out on the podcast. It wasn't even in the doc that I was planning on saying that. Sure enough, like two days later, we get the news. Pavlik has been called up by Winnipeg. Since then, he's played both games and uh, not so bad. He had a 6-3 win versus Arizona, then a 5-3 win versus St. Louis. So that's obviously three goals against per game. That's not a great goals against average, but it's been on 70 shots. Like He's taken a lot of shots. Winnipeg, obviously not the best defensive team. 9-14 save percentage at this point through two games for Andre Pavlik, which isn't great. But if he could put up those numbers, that's a lot better than Hellebuck, who has a 9-07 on the season, or Hutchinson an 8-94. And those numbers actually make them look good compared to what they've done over the past month. So those guys have been horrible. Pavlik has been okay. So moving forward, Brian is Pavlik the number one goalie on Winnipeg and of course does that make him a must add in most leagues where he's available or do you think there's still going to be a chance that Hellebuck could steal the job obviously Hutchinson just forget about him obviously but I'm curious to get your thoughts on Pavlik at this point I remember at the beginning of the year when he got sent down you were talking about his Mercad per 60 numbers and saying maybe he's not as bad as we said he was all that said, Brian, floor is yours. I'm very, very curious to hear what you think about Andre Pavlik. I actually added him in two leagues, including my one against you. I wonder if you were like, damn, Elon got Pavlik when I wanted him. Or if you were like, ah, sucker, he's going to get blown up. I don't think I thought either one of those things. Let's let's just zoom out for a minute before talking about Pavlik and see how we got here where Winnipeg is recalling the goalie that they waived at the start of the season that they couldn't get rid of for anything and get something of value back in return Winnipeg right now is seventh in the league in expected goals against per 60 minutes, which is good. That's a good thing. But they are 25th in actual goals against per 60 minutes, which is very bad. And, you know, I've been on the team most of the season about how the team has been uh, having these systemic problems that haven't been properly addressed. And we know when Truba was out to start the season, thought that might be having a really big impact on the goaltending Winnipeg, but he's back and things seem to be doing okay by those expected goals numbers. So what we're seeing in that gulf between the expected and the actual goals against is a letdown by the people who have been tending their net in Connor Hellebuck and Michael Hutchinson. Hutchinson and Hellebuck, they're both in the bottom 10 in the league this year in goal saved above average, posting negative numbers in the category, which means that the average NHL goalie this year would have stopped more pucks than they have. And so you look at Pavlik and you say, okay, he just needs to come in and be average. Now, that is something he's only managed to do, say, percentage-wise, in two of his seven years of NHL experience. So it's not as automatic as you might think for somebody with as much NHL experience as he has. But he has been a guy that we did talk about, as you mentioned, Elon, at the start of the season. He's got some backing amongst the goalie numbers community who see that he was facing shots that were harder than other places around the league. And then the average goalie might not have done so much better than he did in Winnipeg. And there was still some questions as to just how good he could possibly be if the team in front of him had it together. So maybe this is a chance to find out. So far, he has been average, which I think is a success. And then if we're looking long term, we have to think, well, Connor Hellebuck, you know, he's still a blue chip prospect. He started his NHL career on that huge tear last season, lasted about 30 games before the wheels fell off. And I think there still should be opportunities for Hellebuck to sneak in 
and steel starts. Pavlik has never been a rock solid guy. I think he'll have a bad run or a bad couple starts here or there that will give the Jets an excuse to turn back to Hellebuck and see what he's got. In the meantime, I don't know what you do with Hellebuck. It's a tough thing. He's really of poor value at the moment with a 907 and not winning a lot of games. He's of even less value at a 907 and not even getting to play games. So I, I figure his value right now is comparable to guys like Vasilevsky and Flurry and even Michael Neuverth. So that's what you're looking at if you own Connor Hellebuck. If you don't own Andre Pavlik, I think it's a good time to go out and get him because he could go on a run. And who knows if the Jets are just happy to showcase him in advance of the deadline and maybe he goes to a team that's better than Winnipeg and get some starts in there. Oh, so that could be interesting. You grab Pavlik now. Maybe you get some bad starts in Winnipeg, but you might get some good starts on another team. That's an interesting way to look at it. Either way, yeah, like the thing with Andre Pavlik, I'll bet you anything he's going to blow up some people's stats some weeks. You really have to be careful when you start him because Winnipeg, as we've seen, just lets in a lot of goals, but they also let in a lot of shots. If your league count saves, there's value there. And I think they're going to run with Pavlik now, at least like you say, Brian, until the trade deadline. Very interesting. And yeah, Hellebuck, I don't know. We'll bring up some other goalies throughout the show and we'll see what you think about them in comparison to Hellebuck. If maybe you have the option to drop Hellebuck for one of those guys. Staying in Winnipeg, Drew Stafford got injured in yesterday's game versus St. Louis with a lower body injury. And normally, maybe we wouldn't even talk about him because he hasn't been a fancy relevant guy for most of the season. But just recently, he's been doing really well. He has six points in his last seven games, not including yesterday's game where he got injured. And of course, the reason for that was because he took Patrick Laine's place on the Ehlers and Shifley line. And we said, oh yeah, go and grab Stafford because he's on this great line. And, and we were right. He was great. If you picked him up and got him, fantastic. Hopefully you enjoyed that value, but no big deal now. He wasn't going to stay there anyways, even though he's injured and I don't want to make light of an injury hopefully he'll be okay but it looks like Patrick Laine is going to be back soon from his concussion he's been practicing with like full contact and all of that so not really a fantasy impact here I would think because Stafford you know no one else needs to take that spot on Laine's line because Laine is going to take it himself I don't know if you have anything to say about that Brian before I get to one more thing about the Jets I'll just say it's too bad for Stafford. He was doing fairly well. He was on my watch list, and had he had a different schedule, he definitely would have ended up on my roster at some point this week. For the remainder part of the game in which he was injured, Andrew Kopp was his replacement on the Shifley Ehlers line. And like you said, Elon Liney might be back anyway, so it doesn't matter. But if he isn't, if Liney and Stafford both miss another few games, I'm interested to see who ends up getting some top six time and if there's anything to be done with it. Still the situation to keep an eye on until Liney comes back. Yeah, though I think at least with Stafford, like he's not an awesome player or anything, but he's a pretty decent player. He had 20 goals last year. So I thought he had value on that line because he's a decent player and now on an amazing line. I don't know if Andrew Kopp is someone I would grab, even though he's in the same situation. I don't think he's at the level of Drew Stafford. No offense to Andrew Kopp. I don't even know who he is. No, if it does end up being Andrew Kopp, I feel like that was a very temporary fix. I don't think he would be the guy to fill in. If he is, you can probably keep your distance. Okay, and since we're on Winnipeg, one last thing. Let's just take a look at what's going on near the top of their scoring leaders. You've got Shifley, Wheeler, Ehlers, Little, all with at least seven points in their last eight games. Bufflin with six, Truba with four, so nothing new. Like all the guys you have on Winnipeg that you're expecting to give you points, you're getting points from. You can't be complaining, but I have actually left someone out of that group of players who have at least seven points in their last eight games from Winnipeg, and that is Matthew Perot, old-timey, keeping Carlson favorite. Matthew Perot is back with fantasy hockey relevance. I'm very excited, Brian. Let's see if you'll be equally as excited as you were about him two years ago. Perot has seven points in his last eight games played. That's three goals, 10 assists in his last 18 games played, which is pretty decent. 13 points in his last 18. 
Seven in his last eight. Yesterday, he was playing with Wheeler and Little at even strength and on the power play, getting decent power play time, playing with great players. Brian, that's what I like in a fantasy hockey pickup, not what you think I like in a fantasy hockey pickup, which we'll get to in a little bit. But if he says in that spot, do you think people should be looking at Matthew Perot as a potential ad in their leagues? Winnipeg actually plays three of the four days next week before the All-Star break. Most of the teams play two times, but Winnipeg plays three times. So even for just a couple of days, you might want to take a look at Matthew Perot. I'll respond to your comment later when we have a longer conversation about what I think you like in a player. Matthew Perot is someone you can add right now. You just don't want to be looking too long-term with him as a fix because Winnipeg does have that really weird slow week that probably falls smack in the middle of your fantasy playoff. So that's something that you shouldn't really be thinking of right now. You can go for him. I actually played with Joel Armia and Brian Little for most of the last three games but seems to be getting some looks with better lines. And I expect him to get a few more of those if Liney and Stafford are out for a couple games longer. All right, so we'll start with Matthew Perot. And then as we go through the show, I'll be asking you to compare people to him or, you know, to the new guy at the top as we figure out who's the top free agent of the week in Keeping Carlson. This is something we should actually track. That would be fun. Oh, well, too bad we haven't been doing it. Let's move on to Pittsburgh. Last week, we talked about Chris Letang being injured again. He's week to week at this point. I really just don't want to get into that. This is ridiculous. My couple team, Brian, has seven injuries right now, including both of my goalies. So not looking good, but hopefully most of them will be short-term. I hope Latang will be short-term, but I don't know if it will be at this point. But okay, we already talked about him to death. But that opened a spot for the Penguins to call up Jake Gensel. And he got called up to fill it. This isn't the first time he's been on the team. He was called up earlier in the year. Everyone went insane for him. And then, you know, he had one good game and then sort of fell off and then ended up getting sent back down to the minors. But he's back again. He's got points in all three of his games so far. One goal, two assists. Only one shot and goal total over those three games. But 15 hits. So maybe he's not giving you shots, but he's giving you hits along with these points. And of course, the reason why he's getting these points is because he's a good player, I guess, but mainly because he's playing with Patrick Hornfist and Evgeny Malkin, and he's getting a little bit of power play time, but not much. But mainly, obviously, for online two with Malkin and Hornfist, you're going to get some points because Malkin is not slowing down. Hornfist keeps teasing us that he might actually be slowing down, but then he's like, no, I'm just kidding, guys. I'm going to score a goal for you, make you feel better. So I won't talk about Hornfist. Let's just talk about Jake Gensel at this point. A lot of people rush to grab him in all of the leagues that I'm in. So my main question is to you, Brian, are one, can we even expect him to stay with the big club for the rest of the season? Like, should people be, you know, trading for him, expecting that he'll be able to help them for the long term? And also, I guess, regardless, like, will he stay in the top six if he does stay? And also, you know, even forgetting about that, whether he'll be a long-term or short-term guy, do you like him right now? Do you think that he would be a good free agent pickup for people if he's still available? Before I answer that, I'm going to go back to Chris Letang just to point out, actually, Dauber tweeted this earlier this afternoon. Justin Schultz leads all defensemen in scoring since November 27th. He has 28 points in 24 games, averaging more than a point per game. And you might think, okay, a million power play points, just eight of them on the power play, which is like the low end of the other guys in the top seven or nine on that list in the same time span. He's ahead of Brent Burns, who comes next, Victor Hedman, Eric Carlson, Tori Krug, Justin Schultz. What a guy to have on your roster. My eternal apologies for not recommending you grab him, but I'm sure glad I did when I still had the chance. But to the guy you wanted to talk about, Jake Gensel, yeah, back up with the big team. He was lighting up the AHL after his last call down. Now he's got 21 goals and 21 assists for 42 points in 33 games with the Baby Penguins. And so far in this cup of coffee, has a goal on his only shot, which is not the greatest indication. You know, it is nice that he's on such a great line, but I'm curious to see if this call-up follows the story of his last one. He started on a top line, has a big game or two, and then nothing before being moved out of the top six 
and then sent back down. I like Jake Gensel, and I think he couldn't be a full-time NHLer within the next however long. You know, as soon as there's a spot for him in Pittsburgh, I feel like he can take it. But in the short term, you're looking at Matt Cullen likely returning in the next two to three weeks. And with the All-Star break, you might only get somewhere between five and eight more games out of Gensel before the Pens make that decision of whether to send him back down or to keep him up with a healthy Matt Cullen. Also, these weeks coming up, Elon, are so jam-packed. You're going to have a lot of sit-or-start roster decisions to be made with a lot of teams trying to fit in games leading into the All-Star break and coming out of it. All right, yeah, so definitely there's the risk that he'll get sent down, but I'm not sure I caught it, Brian. While he's up there playing with Malkin and Horkfist, is he someone to add? Like, what do you expect he could put up? Like, he has a point per game since he's been called up. I assume he can't keep that up. But what do you think, like, one point every two games is reasonable and maybe a little bit more? That would be nice. I mean, I did mention that last time he was called up, he started strong and then faded out, and I don't know if this is going to be the same thing, because last time he was called up, if I recall right... He had a bunch of shots right off the bat, and now he has just one shot over three games, which is not something I love to see. But as long as he's up there and playing with those guys, uh, I mean, he's in a really great position to get points. Yeah, that's true. But so is Matthew Perot. So let's get our first this or that question to you, which I know you love. Gensel or Perot, if they're both available to you right now in free agency? I think Gensel is, uh, if you're going for the jackpot, the home run swing, but Matthew Perot is the steadier guy. And again, like if this is a depth guy that you're adding to your roster, and I'm just going to say this once more for the whole episode, but the schedule is so crowded that if this is the bottom guy, it's not really a huge decision that you need to make. Anyway, between the two, uh, I would probably go with Gensel just because of how exciting it's been to see young players on the Penguins do well. Case in point, Connor Sheary has been amazing. And I just want to touch on him while we're talking about young Penguins. If you haven't been keeping track of him, 31 points in 38 games and shrink that sample and just go back to the last 23 games. He has 11 goals and 11 assists for 22 points in that time with 64 shots, so almost three per game. And of those 22 points in 23 games, only two of them coming with the man advantage. So he is working hard and paying his dues and scoring points at even strength. He's doing so well for a guy who really was on waiver wise. I still feel like he was available in a lot of leagues as recently as a month ago. Yeah, I remember I picked him up for a spot start in the cupful. Obviously, I should have held on, you know, a month or two months ago, whenever it was. I dropped him, someone else picked him up, and that person definitely hit the jackpot. And, you know, the, the frustrating thing is I knew he was going to play with Crosby. I remember even earlier in the season when I was saying, yeah, it looks like Connor Sheary's going to stay on this line. I think you were a bit more skeptical, but clearly he has. There's no way he's getting bumped off that line. They're really clicking. I would be very surprised. Back to Gensel versus Matthew Perot. Brian, I'm going to disagree with you. Unless your league counts hits and you're going to benefit from Gensel's hits, give me Matthew Perot. I mean, he's playing with Wheeler, maybe not as good as Malkin, but not too bad. Plus, I like the shots on goal. That's another thing, Brian, I like when looking at players to pick up in free agency. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I like players who take shots. And Perot has four, three, three, like in his last three games. Gensel, the one shot really doesn't help me. Again, if your league counts hits, then you're getting help from him. But otherwise, I don't know if I want to rely just on the points. Okay, let's go now. Wait, no, let me let me respond, because you're saying I'm dumb for taking Gensel or that I was so wrong about assuming that you would. Yep. I, I definitely lean more towards Perot. If your league counts shots and doesn't count hits, there's good reason for you to choose Perot for the steady hand. But, Elon, I keep saying, like, I feel like this is a spot I want to use just to see if a guy explodes. And I want to have dibs on him. If that's the case, I see a lot more upside with Gensel. So I'm actually picking the more exciting player while you're going conservative. I think you're just doing this to throw me off your scent. 
<laughs> okay, well, you feel like an interesting uh, scenario here. Like, you're saying this is a roster spot that's going to... Sure, yeah. If you want the guy with the highest upside, maybe it's Gensel on that amazing line. But, you know, long-term success, it depends. Like, not everyone, Brian, is just going to be cycling that spot throughout. Maybe some people are looking at someone they want to add that they're going to be able to depend on for a while. So, yeah, obviously, it depends. Obviously, we've given you pros and cons for each. Make your decision. Tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let you let us know if you actually end up deciding between Gensel and Perot. There's going to be other players we're going to be talking about. So maybe we're going to be forgetting about both of them compared to other guys. Anyways, I don't know if I mentioned, but we're kind of on a rosters section of the podcast right now. Just like sort of different interesting roster moves. Like Pavlik being called up. Gensel being called up. Next, actually, this isn't really even a roster news. This is just sort of general news. Jack Capuano was fired by the New York Islanders last week. Doug Waite is the new coach. And you know what? The Islanders have won three games in a row. So is that a coincidence? I don't know. And actually, the Islanders are playing today. So let's see how they're doing. They're tied with Philly. Oh, normally that would be not that bad. But against Philly, like you should be winning like eight to two at this point. So I'm surprised that they're only tied right now. But we'll see how that game shakes out. But yeah, is there any fantasy impact here? Like, the first thing I was thinking when I saw the Islanders were going to get a new coach was I was wondering, oh, is that going to change who's playing with Tavares? Because that's really all that matters in fantasy, right? Like, who's going to be the defenseman on the top power play? Still Nick Letty. Who are the two guys playing with John Tavares on the power play and at even strength? We've got Anders Lee, Josh Bailey. Kind of nothing has changed. So I feel like there's not really any fantasy impact to the new coach. Maybe you could let me know if you disagree. But of course, John Tavares still surging, still doing great. And that has led to still Bailey and Lee doing great. Anders Lee has a four-game point streak, two goals and seven shots on goal yesterday. Josh Bailey up to 30 points in 44 games. You know, these are both guys kind of like Connor Sheary that you always see in free agency, but they keep doing well. So if they're still in free agency for you, you might want to start wondering if you should be picking them up and not just assuming they're always going to be there for you. But yeah, John Tavares finally has been doing well. And yeah, I guess that was my question to you, Brian. What do you think is the fantasy impact of this new coach, if any? I think you'd have to look pretty hard beyond the current setup to find any possibility that there is room for somebody else to be fantasy relevant on that team. My immediate thought is to look at two guys who have been maligned recently under Capuano. So the first is Ryan Strom, as time on ice was already on the rise before the firing, but in his last six games, he's had a time on ice total that's good to be in his top 10 time on ice totals this year. And in his last game with the new coach, Doug Waite, he saw a season high 18 minutes and 44 seconds. But the caveat is that this is still Ryan Strom, who has shown us little to nothing, not only as his minutes have increased, he's now pointless in eight straight, but who has also shown us little to nothing for the last year plus. I'm also interested to see what this means for Andrew Ladd when he returns as well. Garth Snow acquired him, and I imagine he'd like his coach to try and make that acquisition look better than it has to date. But again, this is Andrew Ladd. He's been on decline for over a year now. This is also the Islanders where fantasy relevance more or less begins and ends with the Tavares line now that Nielsen is off elsewhere. I don't think the Isles are suddenly a better team. They're not going to start scoring a whole lot more than they have. So I'm not really expecting any added relevance from guys who are not playing with John Tavares. Yeah, I agree, though. Maybe the one player I haven't mentioned yet that could get some improvement, at least if the team is actually better, which I guess you kind of hope they would be. Why did they fire the coach? If not, because they think a new coach could do something better. And hey, this three-game win streak, but obviously that's a super small sample size. Let's not get into that. But we do have to mention Thomas Grice. He's riding two straight shutouts at this point. And I guess that was before today. So obviously that is no longer the case because the score is 2-2 against Philly. But still, Thomas Grice has been really great lately. He's up to a 927 save percentage on the season before today. Great to see him taking advantage of his first starting gig in the NHL. Like he's been around forever. We've always thought that he was a great goalie and someone who you'd want to pick up for a spot start whenever he'd be playing. He's the starter now and he's really doing well. 
Brian, is there like any chance that the Islanders are a good team now? Like they've been a bad team all year. Like going into the season, we thought, oh yeah, the Islanders, they're a good team. Then quickly we realized, no, they're not good. They're bad. And so then you would assume then their goalie isn't of so much value to you. But Thomas Grice, he's doing well. Ryan in our Keeping Carlson Patron Only Facebook group asked about dropping Bishop for Grice yesterday. And, you know, that's the type of question that going into the season, you think, oh my God, that's crazy. Like Ben Bishop, he was a Fezna finalist last year. But, you know, Bishop got pulled after letting in five goals in two periods versus Arizona yesterday. And he was asking about now dropping Bishop for Grice. He only has two goalie spots. He's only allowed to have two goalies. I kind of feel like you make that move because Islanders should at least be as good of a team as Tampa Bay at this point. Like Tampa Bay is a train wreck themselves. And also... Grice is like a really good goalie. He just never had the chance to prove himself. Now that he has, like last year and this year, he's been fantastic. I don't think the Isles should be as good as the Lightning, even though they have been better to date. They're the only team below the Lightning in the Eastern Conference standings, but they have four games in hand and the gap is only one point. And maybe by the end of this episode, Elon, by the end of this Philly game, they'll actually be ahead of Tampa with three games in hand. So I don't know what that says more about the Islanders or Tampa. If you're trying to choose between Bishop and Grice, I think what we know about Grice is that he's better than Yaroslav Halak, which is not saying a whole lot because of how Halak played in his time before getting demoted to the AHL. If I was choosing between the two, I would still pick Bishop. I still think that Tampa should be the better team, and so they'll be better. The Isles are actually really poor defensively. They are 29th in the league in expected goals against and 26th in the league and score-adjusted Corsi, which is share of shot attempts. So I think they have some serious defensive problems, and Grice is really going to have to keep performing very well to still be putting up good numbers and collecting wins. Yeah, so definitely it'll be fun when we do our next Schmorgoldiesborg goalie rankings. Grice is obviously going to shoot way up the list because there's no Halak to contend with. I wonder how high he'll end up, but you know that's maybe a teaser for a future episode either next year or maybe something mid-season. No, no, we'll see if we can get to that. Brian, before we move on, let's mention our sponsor for this week's episode of Keeping Carlson, SeatGeek. SeatGeek, that is like a really great site to go and find tickets to all your sporting events and concerts and events. As you all know, there's nothing like being behind the glass for a fun hockey game. Sure, you could go to a bar, or you could watch it at home, but you're not there with the action and the banging and the smashing. Like, that's what hockey's all about, the playing the 90s music as you're enjoying the game, drinking your $20 Coke. Wow, you're really selling the hockey game experience, Elon. <laughs> but if you want to go to the game and you want to get that $20 Coke, you can do it with a rebate that SeatGeek is offering keeping Carlson listeners if they buy tickets through SeatGeek for the first time. Tell the people about it, Elon. I had more to say about SeatGeek also, Brian. I was just getting to it. I was going to say, by the way, before I get, I want to leave people in suspense about this amazing deal from SeatGeek that you could get as a listener of Keeping Carlson. But did you know, Brian, that my wife wants to go to see Cour de Parat, who's coming to Toronto, a fun indie Canadian, like French singer. And we looked and the tickets were sold out and it was, oh no, we're not gonna be able to get tickets. But we found tickets available on SeatGeek and that includes their ranking of the value of the ticket. They're also backed by their 100% guarantee. We don't really mention that, but that means if you buy the ticket and it turns out to be a scam, they'll you know, get you back, but it probably won't be a scam. SeatGeek is great. We've both used it. We've had great experiences and we both got our $20 rebate from our first SeatGeek purchase because we bought our tickets from SeatGeek. So if you wanna get that $20 rebate, Go to the website or download the SeatGeek app, enter the promo code KEEPING, and you're going to get that $20 US rebate check after your first purchase. So check it out, SeatGeek, be a geek, get a seat for deals on fleek. It's a good place to go. And that sends the most disjointed SeatGeek spot we've ever offered. But it's a great service. It's way better than all those other guys. 
Hey, Siki, why don't you tweet at us at Keeping Carlson? Let us know if you're actually listening to these. I hope you <laughs> like it. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. I'm curious. I'm curious if they're listening. Does it matter what we say? <laughs> well, they check in. They want to know that we're doing it. I'm just curious. If, if you're listening, SeatGeek, let us know what you think. We're, we're open to feedback. Anyways, okay. Next, let's go on to injuries, which is going to basically be a segment about all the people injured on my Cupful team. Let's start with John Gibson, who got hurt yesterday versus Minnesota, an upper body injury. I saw that it might not be serious. So who knows? With these goalie injuries, Brian, you're the one calming me down earlier today and saying, Elon, you have to wait at least a day to get more news. So maybe Gibson will be back soon. We know Tuka Rask had that scare a couple of weeks ago, and he ended up being fine, though he again left today's game. Who knows now if he'll be fine? That's both of my couple goalies, by the way, injured right now, Rask and Gibson. Anyways, I wanted to talk about Gibson because he's been on such a great run. He's actually been a 929 save percentage goalie over the past 60 days, up to 921 on the season after a rough start. 921 is an above average goalie, and he's somehow pulling that off, even though he was not that great to start the season. When Gibson left the last game, Jonathan Bernier came in and promptly, promptly got blown up Four goals against on 20 shots. He's down to an 899 save percentage on the season. He's fallen below 900. Jonathan Bernier, just brutal. If Gibson were to be out long-term, and maybe he won't be, but I'm kind of curious to get your sense anyways. Would it be smart for people to even add Jonathan Bernier? Like, my first thought was, oh, no, I've already used all my ads for the week in the Cacupful. I can't even pick up Bernier if I want him. But then as I saw him letting in goal after goal, I thought, you know what? I don't think I'd really want him anyways. And also, if you recall, Anaheim picked up Jonas Enroth recently. They got him in a trade from Toronto. If Gibson is out long-term or misses any games, is there value in Jonathan Bernier? Or do you think that Jonas Enroth gets a chance to take the job since Bernier has just been so bad? Though, to be fair, Enroth also has been having a horrible season. He has an 872 save percentage in six games played. I'd imagine he's better than that, though. He had a 922 save percentage last season on LA. It's funny with how good Gibson has been, how there is another way to connect him and Freddie Anderson in terms of their narrative since being in Anaheim together and now being apart. They've each had a good run now, followed by a really tough start. And I wonder how much longer they'll sort of follow the same path. As for Bernier, I don't think he's a very safe choice as a backup goalie. You might want to try and bank on him getting a lot of starts if you think Randy Carlisle is going to favor him with the Leafs connection. But maybe Carlisle also has some empathy for Enroth as another guy who failed with Toronto and was then cut loose. I would prefer Enroth to Bernier if I was coaching the team. And so I wouldn't actually make a move for any of these guys until I start to see that Enroth is getting starts. He's a guy I'm willing to take a risk on. Bernie, I think, is just going to wreck your numbers often. If the Ducks win, it'll be in spite of him. Wow. Okay. So you've heard it here first. Brian likes Enroth more than Bernier. Maybe you shouldn't have said you like either of them because maybe they're both not that good. But I agree. Like Enroth has been good for a while. Bernier was really bad last year, except for a short run. I guess like Bernier is really the type of goalie that needs to get on a roll. Like he was doing well at the beginning of the season. I remember he had that horrible game where he let him like eight goals against Calgary and Gibson couldn't come in to relieve him because he was having stomach issues. And then after that, it's just never been the same. And before that, Bernier was looking like a really solid backup. And people were saying in our Facebook group that they thought that Bernier was going to end up splitting starts or maybe even getting more starts. Then Gibson, as the season went on, clearly that hasn't happened, both because of Gibson's great play and Bernier's bad play. It will be interesting. Hopefully Gibson will just come back and be fine. And this whole segment will have been for naught, but not completely for naught because we're on Anaheim. So we might as well mention a couple of other people like Ricard Raquel, Brian, five points in his last six games with Getzlaff back. And that's exactly what we said last week. We said he'd been on that cold streak, but it was because Getzlaff was injured and Raquel was playing with bad players. Clearly Raquel needs to be with good players to produce at this point in his career, it seems. And now that he's back playing with Getzlaff and Perry and on the top power play, Great for Ricard Raquel. Also, I guess there is another injury 
Jacob Silverberg has an upper body injury just day to day. Maybe he'll be back soon. I saw Logan Shaw took his place in line two with Kessler and Cogliano. No points to show for it. Just around 10 to 12 minutes of ice time. I assume that people shouldn't be rushing to grab Logan Shaw. Is he similar to Andrew Kopp in terms of someone who no one has heard of that's on a good line, but you shouldn't expect any fantasy output from them? Yeah, well, and still very briefly on a good line. So we'll see if that sticks for a couple games. And then it's time to really think about it. Uh, Silverberg could be back before long, though. Ricard Raquel, I don't know what's more to say, Elon. We've gone, we've had our back and forth about him. And I'm looking forward to keeping that conversation going for another two and a half months. But I don't feel like we need to get into depth about it this week. Uh, Ryan Kessler is a duck I'd like to talk about. He's having himself another year or half year, I suppose, 18 goals, 21 assists for 39 points in 49 games with 118 shots on goal. The difference, once again this year, is the huge power play success he's seeing. He has 17 power play points already. He had 15 power play points last year. There was a question when Boudreaux left, and he flourished under Boudreaux. So you wonder, was he going to continue having the offensive success that we saw him have under Boudreaux, especially in the latter half of last year? And the answer so far has been yes. He's working for Randy Carlyle too, and for his fantasy owners. Yeah, I still remember the days when we would say, ah, don't worry about Kessler unless you're in a league that counts face-off wins or hits, but clearly he gives you points and those other things. We see people on our Facebook group or tweeting at us saying how Kessler's like a top 10 guy in their league because of all these things being counted. So yeah, fantastic season. Definitely if you drafted Kessler, you made a smart decision and maybe Brian and I wouldn't have done that. Brian, you know, he's very convincing and he has convinced me for a long time that Kessler's no big deal, but obviously something is clicking over in Anaheim. Okay, let's go to another goalie injury Varlamov, I mean Varlamov is going to be shut down until at least after the All-Star game with another groin injury. And I guess not another groin injury, the same groin injury that keeps on taking him out. So again, it's Calvin Pickard time. He actually had a good game on Thursday versus Anaheim. Two goals against on 36 shots. Unfortunately, he still lost two to one. He also played well in his previous start on January 6th versus the Islanders, where he helped Colorado get a two to one win. Only one goal against on 36 shots. Overall, Pickard has been bad. And we were excited about him earlier in the year when Varlamov went down because we've seen before in previous seasons that Pickard really benefited from Varlamov missing time and he would always do really well but overall this season only a 904 save percentage and Colorado's clearly a very bad team I'd be curious to know if you think Pickard is worth an ad right now is he riskier or less risky than a guy like Jonathan Bernier if Gibson was to stay out Pickard is probably about as risky I think it's a wash between him and Bernier I guess Bernier has the better team and I don't think Pickard's play sustains like he's not going to be able to steal wins on a regular basis So again, I think if Anaheim wins, they'll win in spite of Bernier, while Colorado just needs to win in spite of their entire team. So I like Bernier's odds of picking up a W a little better, and I don't expect great numbers from either of them. Hmm. So obviously this is just speculation. I actually, Brian, I think I'll disagree. I think that Pickard is a better goalie than Bernier. I don't know. I I just remember seeing so much success from Pickard in the past on, on, like also a not great Colorado team. So I think I would take Pickard of the two of them but it could probably go either way. And you could also just get burned either way if you went with either of them. Sure, put them together on the same team. Who do I want to net? I would probably choose Pickard, but taking into account the teams they play for, that tips the scale. I feel like I really want to make my points when we disagree this week. Yeah, people know that you're going to be right and I'm going to be wrong. That's how it always goes, right? So you don't have to worry about it too much. Uh, Anything to Spencer Martin, by the way? He got the start yesterday versus San Jose, even though it wasn't a back-to-back. So I'm not sure why, but he's a guy who got called up, obviously since Varlamov is injured. He ended up letting in three goals on 30 shots, took the overtime loss. I don't know. Is there anything to him? 
Not a whole lot. Like, I guess the answer is why not try him out? If Pickard's not working and Barlamov might be out longer, why not give this guy a shot? Uh, third round pick, 63rd overall in the 2013 NHL entry draft. He's a 21-year-old and has posted a 917 save percentage in 45 games for the San Antonio Rampage of the AHL. He also played in the East Coast League for half the year last year. I don't see any reason to think he'll be a better option than Pickard. So I don't think he's anyone you need to go ahead and grab. And like, even if Varlamov is healthy, do you want Semyon Varlamov on your team? Yeah, Colorado's been bad. Varlamov is injury prone and blows up himself. Yeah, just a bit of a dumpster fire over in Colorado. And it might get worse if this Tyson Barry injury is serious, which it might not be. He's only day-to-day right now with a lower body injury. But it's like too bad. He's been one of the bright spots there, one of the few bright spots. He actually has one goal, nine assists for 10 points in his last 10 games. So Barry finally doing well, as we've discussed. But I guess if Barry's out, also Eric Johnson is out. So Boschman was seeing a lot of power play time in the last game. He actually scored a goal. We already know him as a guy who gives you blocks. So in the short, short term, if Boschman's available, I think he's a good guy to add, especially if your league counts blocks. And another defenseman, just like Tyson Barry, who was not so great to start the season, but has been doing well lately, but is now injured. Let's talk about John Carlson, injured again with a lower body injury over in Washington. I still remember last year when he went day-to-day, but it ended up being day-to-day forever. So hopefully John Carlson is okay. You know, they said at first that he was maybe only going to miss one game. Then it was two games. Now I think it's been three games. He has an O status on Yahoo instead of a day-to-day, which is not looking good. I don't know how they come up with that. Anyways, unsurprisingly, Matt Niskanen has two goals and five assists in his last four games. Maybe unsurprisingly isn't the right word because I guess that is more points than you would expect. But of course, he's producing now that he takes the job as a top power play defenseman, as he always does when Carlson goes down. He actually had three assists versus Dallas yesterday. Three of these seven points in his last four games have been on the power play. I obviously will say you have to add Matt Niskanen if you can, if he's available. I'm sure he's not because he's been doing okay even with Carlson in the lineup, but so much better even with Carlson out of the lineup. And like I said, who knows how long Carlson will be out. And since we're on Washington, Brian, they're scoring so many goals. And, you know, the usual suspects are getting the points. You know, the Ovechkins and the Backstrom, Kuznetsov is even doing well, like we hoped he would at the start of the year. But one guy who maybe you wouldn't have expected, Andre Burakovsky is actually even on a nice run. He has four goals and three assists in his last five games played. Surprisingly, he's doing this from a line with Lars Eller and Brett Connolly. So I don't know how Burakovsky is getting all of these points, except that obviously Washington's scoring a lot and they're spreading it around. So, okay, I've said a lot now about the Capitals. Why don't you just comment on your thoughts on Niskanen or Burakovsky if you have any? Well, Niskanen, like you said, is doing what he always does, which is when Carlson's out, he steps up onto that top power play unit and takes more even strength minutes and does a very good job with them. He's proven himself to be almost, you might say, like a Justin Schultz in Washington as someone who can handle that role and a Francois Boschman as well. If you're choosing between the two, Elon, I'm surprised you didn't ask me. Boschman, of course, is going to get you more blocks. So you might prefer him unless you're in a plus minus situation, in which case you might prefer Niskanen. Also, it made me wonder when Eric Johnson is coming back. His timetable for return was extended. It was supposed to be six to eight weeks. Now it's eight to 10 And it looks like he might start skating in about one week's time by now, hopefully returning in February. Okay, back to the Caps. Yeah, Washington's been ridiculous lately. The goals do not stop coming. And Burakovsky is one of the guys who is bringing those goals onto the score sheet. Four goals, three assists, seven points in his last five games with 10 shots on goal. He had nice runs last year with Kuznetsov. And we were all watching him then. He was a big part of Mike Kupfel roster into the playoffs. But his scoring dried up when Kuznetsov's did. So it's refreshing to see Burakovsky doing this away from Kuznetsov a little more on his own. 
That said, it doesn't mean it's sustainable to me. He saw less than 10 minutes of ice in the most recent game against Dallas, and his normal time on ice is usually in the 12 to 14 minute range with a very small power play role. You know, he's a guy who can go on runs, but he hasn't made himself out to be anything more than a half point per game guy. I don't think this is the year he breaks out. I think he's going to need to be inside the top six rather than outside the top six to be able to break out. And that situation doesn't seem to be on the horizon. Yeah, last year it was Marcus Johansson who was in the bottom six, but at least he was getting like top power play time this year. Johansson is in the top six, most recently playing with Kuznetsov and Williams. And like I said, Burakovsky is down with Connolly and Eller. So I agree. You know, if you picked up Burakovsky and you've been riding this hot run, that's fantastic. If you could sell high, I think definitely try to do that. Otherwise, hold him for a bit until he slows down and then you could drop him for the next hot guy. I assume you wouldn't take Burakovsky over Gensel or Perot at this point? No, because he's still not playing in that top six. Both those other guys are, so I would prefer them even with all this scoring like Washington can't possibly keep scoring four, five or more goals per game the rest of the season. Right. I wouldn't think so, but I mean, if any team could do it, it's them, but obviously even the Washington capitals are going to have to slow down at some point, but we should also mention they've got three back-to-backs over the next two weeks. And for a lot of people, these next two weeks are one matchup because of the all-star game splitting them up. So with Washington having literally three back-to-backs in that two week span, potentially in one matchup, you might want to take a look at Philip Grubauer as a generally spot start backup goalie that's going to give you a lot of games because Washington hasn't been the type of team to be playing Holtby even through these back-to-backs. They've been giving Grubauer a lot of time. I think they saw last year how Holtby maybe played too much and maybe sort of tired out come playoff time. Grubauer's been great this year. He has a 925 save percentage on the season. He wins most of the games he plays just because of his team. So I would definitely take a look at him as someone to add for your next matchup if he's available. Let's move now to Florida. We're still on injuries and nothing new, but we got some news that Barkov may be out for the rest of the season. And we got some news that Huberto might also not play, though then I saw that maybe he actually still will come back in March. But anyways, really bad for Barkov, who we thought maybe would be out a month or two. Maybe we said to even buy low at this point again for your fantasy hockey playoffs. But if you did that, you might be in trouble because it's looking like he might not come back. Obviously, this is great news for Vincent Trocek, who gets to hold his top line center spot. Trocek is scorching right now. He has six goals and four assists in his last seven games played. Is this at all possibly sustainable for Vincent Trocek? Like not over a point per game, but can he be a really solid, like 65 point pace fantasy contributor in this role? Yesterday, he was on a line with Riley Smith and Jonathan Marcheseau. Previously, he was also playing with Yarmir Yager and Seth Griffith. And actually, Seth Griffith isn't even on Florida anymore. He got waved and Toronto picked him up, but we won't talk about him. Yeah, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on Vincent Trocek and also maybe if there's anyone else benefiting from these two injuries. Like Jonathan Marshall, so people in our Facebook group were very excited. They were saying, yes, for Trocek. Yes, for Marshall. And I'm like, yeah, I agree about Trocek. That's great. But Marshall, he's been in the top six all season. And aside from that amazing hot run, he's basically been a 0.5 point per game guy over the last couple of months. So that's fine. But I feel like if he didn't have this hot start, people wouldn't be so, so excited about him. He's actually on a nice run right now. He has three points in his last four games. And he's like a decent guy. I think he is fantasy relevant. I don't know if you should be so excited as if like now, you know, he's amazing just because he's going to stay in the top six because he's been there all year. And like I say, he hasn't been great. But Trocek, wow. Tell me if I'm wrong about either of these guys. Oh, I gladly will. The weird thing about all this, though, like even before I talk about those specific guys, I'm not sure if the news that Barkov and Huberdeau are going to be out longer than we expected. I don't know if that's good or bad for the rest of the Panthers players and their production. You know, on one hand, now they get to be the guys who take on the top roles and get the best scoring opportunities. But on the other hand, they don't have a ton of help. 
to make things happen. It's a thinner roster that they're playing on. So Vincent Trocek is the obvious guy who gets to be first-line center now, and I think he could be a legitimate 55-60 point threat. I think 65 is high, Elon, especially considering that's what we were talking about for Barkov coming into the season. But we'll see what Trocek can put together while centering pretty much the only line that looks at all dangerous offensively right now. So you'll have opponents keying in hard on him in a way that, well, I guess they have been for the duration of Barkov's injury. So he's somewhat used to it and also happened last season. But still, it'll be really interesting to see how this plays out over another potentially 30 games or so. And then you look down the rest of the lineup, you see guys like UC Okunin, Riley Smith, and even Yarmir Yager, although he's actually been successful this year. So I'm going to leave him out for the most part. But Jokinen and Smith, they look snake-bitten this season. I don't think they deserve to have their point totals as low as they are. So I'd keep an eye on them as the team is going to be forced to look to them for secondary scoring or even primary scoring, particularly Riley Smith. And hopefully you see Jokinen, who is hopefully not too old to be producing. Yager is somehow not too old to be producing. So why not Jokinen? It's interesting that Yager has actually already stepped into a bigger role all year long. I think that's because Huberto was out. His shot and shot attempt numbers bounced back up after dropping last year to a point where you might have said, ah, Yager's getting too old. He can't be the guy who fires pucks on net the way he used to. But he's back up there with his shot and shot attempt rates again this year. And he's going to be relied on more. And he's another guy whose shooting percentage and on-ice shooting percentage feel like they have some room to grow. So now's the time. Now's the time for these guys to step into the spotlight and fight off the terrible percentages or however you want to put all the bad variants they've been seeing and fight their way to regress back to the mean. One other name that I want to point out, Colton Sevier, who used to be on Dallas and got a couple good looks there and did okay. Uh, He's had more time with Florida and I think he does his job well, not scoring at all, but is good for shots on goal if you're just looking for those. And Nick Bjugstad, I want to see what he offers when he's back now that he is essentially going to be guaranteed a top six spot. It's going to be a really interesting couple months. Lots of opportunity in Florida, but not a lot of depth to work with. Yeah, definitely check out your free agency. See which Florida Panthers top six players are there. I've seen Riley Smith available in a lot of my leagues, and he has short little runs, and he also takes a lot of shots. So yeah, some interesting guys there. We'll have to see. I'm just saying don't go crazy over Jonathan Marshall. I know everyone calls me a buzzkill in the Facebook groups. Now I feel like I have to bang the drum that Marshall so isn't as good as people think. But I actually have him in one of my leagues, so I'll be happy to be wrong about that. I'm going to take a break from our regularly scheduled injury talk to say breaking news. Steve Mason has won a game. Philadelphia won and Steve Mason was the goalie and and he had a good game like he made 36 saves on 38 shots so we weren't planning to talk about Philly this week but I just have to mention Steve Mason alert he's not overly terrible or at least wasn't today so good to know Thomas Grace by the way also had a good game even though they lost but I just wanted to say let's get back to injuries I mean I was gonna say it's not that huge a deal it's his second win in four games although before that he had lost six in a row And then he won, and then he lost two before that. And then you get into that crazy run he had where he won like eight in a row, even with some really questionable goaltending performances. Uh, Rough year for Steve Mason and people who really claim that Steve Mason is a good goalie. Like like some people that we won't mention. But now it's all forgotten, right? He won a game. It's only going to be blue skies ahead, I assume, for sure, right? Brian, are you regretting you had him? He got dropped in your couple tier one division. Someone dropped Steve Mason. I'm so, I was so surprised you didn't even make a bid on him. You held on to the Dallas tandem. If they're both going to blow up my numbers, I might as well go with the guys who are likely to get me the win. 
Uh, just like winner Steve Mason today. So we'll see how he turns out. I'm, I'm happy for him. And as someone who has him in two leagues, I hope that this is the start of something. Okay, one more injury to discuss. Thomas Vanek got injured today. So this is an up-to-the-minute news podcast, of course, which obviously isn't that useful for people who aren't in the chat room because for you guys that are listening tomorrow, it's already not up to the minute. But we're doing our best here. Vanek injured. He was playing on a line with Nielsen and Athanasiu, and Abdulkader took his place. So if you like that spot with Nielsen and Athanasiu, maybe you look at Abdulkader moving forward. Though we've seen Abdulkader on better lines over the past few years. Like he's played with guys like Zetterberg and Dasik and never really did anything except for a couple of little runs. I don't even want to talk about Justin Abdulkader. I want to talk about Thomas Vanek. He has 16 points in his last 16 games and 31 points on 36 in the season. He's quietly been having an amazing season. That's like a 70-point pace. So that's fantastic. Great bounce back here for him. Of course, I'm talking about him because he got injured. So hopefully it won't be a long-term thing. I think I saw that they think it's just like a day-to-day situation. Moving forward, do you think he still has it in him to keep this up? Like, is Thomas Vanek back to being the superstar that he was back when he was on Buffalo? Detroit certainly is fitting him better than Minnesota did, where he lost his superstar status. His numbers are up across the board from his days as a member of the Wild, and he's on a 73-point pace now, which certainly, like, that can't be possible, right? The guy is 33 years old, so you got to step it down a little bit, and maybe 60? Is that crazy? The thing is that he's never had a season with a lower point pace than 60, before he signed with the Wild. So maybe he can get back up there now that he's with a team that is letting him do his thing offensively. He is actually posting the best even strength scoring rate stats of his entire career right now. So can he keep it going is the big question. Uh, It's hard to say. Like my initial thought was, is anyone on Detroit going to score 60 points? So I looked at what other paces are on the team. And the Red Wings, they do score enough goals, I think, for somebody to hit 60 points. Anthony Mantha, he's the next best point pace guy at 58, then Zetterberg at 55, then Mike Green at 47, which is better than you probably realize. Lots of Red Wings are quietly doing all right. They're a top 10 team in goals scored per game, and Vonick is helping them with that and also reaping the rewards of that. The concern now is that he's injured and maybe his body isn't holding up. He just turned 33, by the way. Happy belated birthday, Thomas Vonick from January 19th. Yeah, he's so old. 33. Yeah, so we'll see if his body can hold up. Yeah. Meanwhile, <laughs> <laughs> I'm falling apart here, but we'll keep going. I guess as you mentioned, Mantha, he's actually cooled off lately. He's pointless in his last four games now. I wonder, like, is he safe to cycle out now? Is he a cycle guy? Like, oh, everyone who has him added him as a free agent at some point because he was on that amazing hot run. I don't know. How do you decide when it's time to finally let go? He's still on this line with Nyquist and Zetterberg. It's not like Nyquist is doing anything, and Zetterberg also hasn't been, like, so fantastic lately. So I'm just curious, you know, as we're looking at free agents, like, let's say Jake Gensel shows up, is it time to drop Mantha for Gensel if you have the opportunity to do that, or do you hold on expecting Mantha to bounce back? I don't know that he's a cycle guy because he just recently had a five-shot-on-goal game. However, around that five-shot game, he has totaled three shots over four games. So that's reason to cycle him out. You should try and have a look to see why he played less than 14 minutes today, this afternoon against New York. I haven't seen an update about it. And that's the game Thomas Vonnegut got injured too. So there were more minutes to go around. They did not go to Mantha or Andreas Athanasiu. They ended up going to Justin Ablocator, I guess, and Riley Sheehan. Anyway, uh, I think he's probably a good guy to own. He's Certainly seems to be one of the more offensively talented Red Wings, but maybe this is persisting where he can't make a big enough impact on the coaching staff or whatever to let them trust him to consistently have high top six forward minutes. 
Yeah, also another guy, Helm, was injured for a long time, and he's back. Not that I'm saying he's super relevant. He actually did score a goal in his return on Friday. Uh, he had three shots on goal today. So I don't know if maybe he's also hurting Mantha. Though, you know, they're on different lines. I don't know exactly how that works. And Helm is not seeing the power play time. Mantha still did see top unit power play time and was playing with those good linemen. So we'll see. Maybe he's not a snoozer yet. Like, don't drop him yet unless you're in a shallowish league. But it's definitely time to be having him on your list of maybe players on the bubble. We'll see if he could do something next week, you know, leading into the All-Star break. One more thing about Detroit. There's been some rumors going around. I know we normally don't want to talk about it. So why don't we just give our general rumor caveat right now as the trade deadline is approaching. People have been saying that Chicago is interested in Nyquist and Tatar, and maybe one of them could end up going there. I wonder, are there any legs to these rumors? Do you have any general ideas of how people can decide whether a rumor is worth giving credence to or whether you should just ignore it completely? Like, I feel like generally Nyquist and Tatar, if they can move to Chicago, that should be good. Like one of them, right? Because there's this line of Hosa and Taves, or at least there was that line. Hosa was down on line three last game for some reason. He still got a million assists. But anyways, assuming that Hosa and Taves are line one, they need a good left winger and you could throw Tatar or Nyquist there. And that would probably be a really good situation for those guys. So, I would think if that trade did happen that you'd want to add one of those guys just to see how they could do. But in general, what's your thought on these rumors specifically and on rumors in general, I guess? Well, my thought on rumors in general is that they should come from a reliable source. Like you should be able to trace it back to a beat writer or somebody who's established themselves or somebody who breaks this kind of news. And the other is that it's still just a rumor. So you could hear the same thing for months or weeks or days or however long makes it worthwhile to you, and then nothing comes of it. So I don't speculate much on what might happen to a player should he be traded to a team that he's rumored to be traded for. Uh, It's not something I like to get into too much. But this one, Elon, since it's the first one of the year and you asked so nicely, I actually still didn't really think about it. I just went to look at their cap situations because the Red Wings, they actually lead the league in cap hit by a reasonable chunk. They have $3 million more on their payroll than any other team, which is embarrassing, I think. And Chicago has less than $1 million in cap space. And you look at Tatara, he makes 2.75 this year and then becomes an RFA. And then Nyquist is at $4.75 million for two more years. So something doesn't add up here. Like something's got to give. Either Chicago's got to hoodwink Detroit to make that happen and send some really bad contract over that Detroit can still somehow handle because they're over the cap right now. So I guess I'm just trying to say that this seems very difficult as a trade that could potentially happen. I don't know how they'd make the financials work. And that is my excuse for not giving it too much thought about what if it happens. Yeah, and there'll be more rumors, like I said, as the weeks go on. I feel like, you know, if these guys are in free agency, you know, leave them on your watch list. You know, maybe you've thought, ah, oh, Tatar, forget about him. I'm not even going to be watching him anymore until he does something. Maybe now, you know, be on alert as the trade deadline approaches. If you see a trade happen, I'm saying I would pull the trigger and add one of those guys if that trade did happen. But I wouldn't like add them preemptively, as I've seen some people suggesting, oh, should I add this guy now? Because maybe he'll get traded. I think you could wait. Anyway, okay, let's now get out of injuries onto outjuries. Next fancy hockey headline of the week. We got to go to the Rangers. We promised we would talk about him. So let's do it. Zabanajad returned. And he had two goals and seven shots on goal on Tuesday. And then seven shots on Thursday. Nothing today in a one nothing overtime win versus Detroit. But Zabanajad playing on a line with Nash and Buchnevich. So it's a line of players who were injured for a while, and now they're all back. Nash, Buchnevich, Zibanejad. I'm sure the Rangers fans are so happy to have their second line back. Also, Zibanejad was on the second power play with Nash, Buchnevich, and JT Miller. So Zibanejad up to 17 points in 22 games on the season. That's a 63-point pace. Fantastic. Of course, 
Is he that good, Brian? Is Mika Zibanejad someone who could put up 63 points over a full season if he didn't get injured? This is definitely one of his stronger seasons for shots on goal and shot attempts. And as you said, his scoring. It's his best campaign so far in his career for scoring. So he's definitely earned a bump. 63 points, though, that's a little too far ahead of his career high. 51 points for me. You know what I love to say about every Rangers forward outside of Zuccarello and Stepan, right? 50 points for sure, or that seems likely. And then 55 upside is hopeful for the best of them. I will be generous enough with Zubanejad to put him on the high end of that. But it is important that he does keep getting those shots on goal. He had a quiet period after that huge start he had. And then right before he got injured, he started picking it up again. He also has to hope that Rick and Ash can keep getting his nearly three shots on goal per game for as long as they're playing together. That's something we chatted about last week. So Zibanejad on his own needs to keep doing things right. And he needs Rick Nash to hold up for the rest of the season. And hopefully Pavel Buchnevich is a really good third piece to that line. I'm still really curious to see what we see from him over the next few weeks because he's been good and then injured and then good and then injured. So let's see him stay healthy for a month or two. Yeah, well, so let's check in on Nash and Buchnevich because we mentioned them last week. Had They had just returned from their injuries. Nash is up to one goal and three assists in five games since returning. Ten shots on goal. So that's behind the pace that you're hoping for, Brian. It's only two shots per game. So hopefully Nash could pick that up. Buchnevich still rolling. He has two goals and four assists in five games since returning for six points in five games. Only eight shots, though, in five games. So he's not a big shooter. 14 points in 14 games, though, on the season, though actually that was before today, so he's finally below a point-per-game pace. But at this point, I'd be curious to know, like, do people have to add Buchnevich if they haven't yet? He was actually available in my cupful, keeping Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantrax League division all the way until the weekend, and then he was finally added, and then the guy who added him was actually my opponent this week, and he didn't do anything today, so I was happy about that. I was happy that I passed on him and that then he didn't do anything today. But I guess if a guy like Jake Gensel is someone people are excited about. I'd be very curious to see what you think about Buchnevich versus Gensel for the rest of the season, if you could only have one. For the rest of the season, I'll take Buchnevich because he's going to be in the bigs for the rest of the season. Don't know that about Gensel. Already talked about how the last time he faded out and then went to the minors. I expect that'll happen when Matt Cullen comes back, unless there's another injury. But I feel like I have a lot more faith in Buchnevich being not only with the big league roster, but also in a reasonably well-deployed situation. So I'll take him. Yeah, I guess I should have asked both for the rest of the season and for the short term. If it's just like a one-week pickup or two-week pickup, like like you said, a bottom roster spot that you're going to be cycling, do you still say Buchnevich? Yes, because even in the short term, he still has a better chance of hanging in on a productive line than Gensel does. Yeah, that's fair. But obviously Gensel does play with Malkin. So I think he could go either way in the short term. I like Buchnevich. I just really don't like Gensel's low shots on goal. And also Buchnevich is getting more power play time. And, you know, you always get more chances to score if you're on the power play and if your league counts. Power play points, a little bonus. That's nice. One last thing about the Rangers. Kevin Hayes got injured today. Not really much impact here because he was already in the bottom six, you know, before he was in the top six, playing with... Nash and Buchnevich for that short time before Zibanejad returned. But now that Hayes is in the bottom six, he gets injured. It's not like someone gets to step in to his amazing position on the team. But of course, it's a downer because he's been on such a good hot run. But now he's injured. We'll see how long he's out for. He just got injured today. Let's go to Nashville for our next outjury. PK Subban returned on Friday versus Edmonton. He had three shots on goal and two blocks. Nashville's playing today against Minnesota. It's been one period and five minutes so far. And Subban has... No goals, no assists, one shot. Anyways, obviously, we're just partway through a game here. But Subban, basically, overall, he's pointless in his last five games. Going back to before his injury, only 17 points in 30 games on the season. So he's inching closer and closer to being only a half point per game defenseman. He's supposed to be one of the top offensive defensemen in the league. So, Brian, what's going on with P.K. Subban at this point? 
I'm just going to say not much. We talked about him within the last couple of weeks, and we talked about how this season has been a disappointing one in relative terms, like from what we expect from P.K. Subban. But he's still been good enough to hit the low end of the expectations that I'd have for him. All his numbers look pretty good. I imagine he's just going to step in and take the reins, give him some time to come back. That was a long, uncertain break he had. And I think everything is going to go well for any Subban owner who's been patient enough to get that reward that I am sure is coming. Yeah, I guess we'll see. We'll have to be watching. Like five scoreless games in a row isn't like a huge concern, but if that becomes an eight or a nine, you know, then we'll have to talk about him again. So we'll put him on the shelf for now. Let's give a quick Victor Arvidsson alert. He's been back on the top line with Forsberg and Johansson recently, and he actually had two assists versus Calgary on Thursday, one goal versus Edmonton. You know, before that, he was on a pointless streak of four games. He was still taking shots, but, you know, a lot of people were probably cycling him, just like people are now thinking about cycling Anthony Mantha. Now Arvidsson is back to producing, and he's on that great line. I feel like I would swap Mantha for Arvidsson if I had that option right now. And I'd like Arvidsson over like Gensel and pretty much any of the other guys if he happens to be a free agent in your league, if he got dropped while he was on the scoreless run. For sure. 100% agree. If he did get dropped, if someone got impatient, this is a good time to add him again, especially if your league counts shots, because even when he wasn't putting up points, he was still helping you in the shots on goal column. And he looks really good, too. I know Steve Laidlaw over at Dauber Hockey he thinks he's the next Brad Marchand. He showed him fighting off three Edmonton Oilers to keep the puck in the offensive zone. And then he ended up circling back around to right in front of the net to put away a rebound to score a goal on the same play. It was a very impressive sequence. Uh, Steve posted it to his Twitter, so you can find it there. And Elon, I just want to, before we move on from Arvidsson, you keep saying P.K. Subban scoreless in five or whatever in eight. He's been back for one game, and I feel like you need to push the reset button. Like I feel like it's really painting this as a really terrible picture of what Subban has been doing. He is scoreless in one game and one period and seven minutes. That's as far as I'm willing to go. Okay, so we'll check back in next week, maybe, or in a couple of weeks on Subban. I'm not, I'm saying I'm not concerned. I agree with you, but something to start watching. Not much you could do if you're a Subban owner. I guess we'll talk about later if this continues, if you need to sell or buy. Obviously, he has an elite pedigree. We assume he'll be fine. We have to give someone like that a long leash and not just go crazy because of a short slump. Just like Matthew in the chat room here is asking me about Panarin's slump. And he's like, oh, are you going to talk about Panarin's cold streak? I love you know, beating up on Matthew in the chat room. He's the guy also who I was beating up for trading Carlson at some point. But anyways, yeah, like some people are going to have a three or four game pointless streak at some point, even superstars, it happens. I wouldn't worry about them. You have to give a longer leash to the guys you drafted in the top like three rounds in your league. One more outjury, Brian. Let's talk about Tyler Ennis, who's back for Buffalo. And that's a name that maybe you haven't heard for a long time. But he's back with the Sabres finally. And he played on the line with Ocposo and O'Reilly yesterday. So that's definitely a fantasy relevant place to be. He's been back for three games now. He has one goal on only three shots. So that's not too great. But I'm just curious if he has any value. This is a guy who was a 46 point guy on a brutal Buffalo team a couple of seasons ago. He was the one bright offensive spot. And we thought last year when they started bringing in some big guns that Ennis would be able to benefit and be like an over 50 point guy. Hasn't materialized. He's also been injured all the time. But now he's back on a good line. Should he be someone people are watching? I guess. I've been watching him for a while. He's not only on my watch list, but on my Fool Me Twice list, which he has done. We've all expected his Tyler and his breakout several times over the last little while. Uh, and it hasn't come. Sure, last year he missed 60 games, but he was only half point per game guy when he did play. And he was nearly always on the ice with either Ryan O'Reilly or Jack Eichel, although lines were in a blender nearly the entire time, so maybe there wasn't enough stability in his line situation to start clicking and get going. I don't know. 
there's been enough excuses for Tyler Ennis over the years. I don't know if playing with better people helps him or if he's got to be the guy on a mediocre line, which is when he had that 46-point season on a really bad Buffalo team. I'm keeping him safely in my watch list, although as any forward who plays in the top six, he's worth keeping an eye on in case he does continue getting very good deployment or even better power play time. Yeah, and also I'd like to see a few more shots on goal, Brian. That's one of the things I like when I'm picking up a free agent oh is seeing some gosh. shots on goal. Let's just how about let's just get this over with now. You think that I have it wrong about what you like when you're looking how do you how do you decide who you like as a free agent? If you're deciding between a bunch of guys, I think you think I'm wrong, but I think you like guys who have gone on a short, strong run, who are getting good deployment, and that means time in the top six. And good deployment on the top power play unit as well. Am I missing something? Well, I don't know. Like, so we were having this conversation earlier today. We were texting, and you were saying Bobby Ryan has four points in his last five. And I was like, eh, whatever. I'm not that impressed. I was actually watching the Sens game yesterday. His goal that he scored was like a tip in. He didn't even like create the play or anything. And then you were like, oh, I thought he's like the type of guy you like. Like, he has four points in five games. And I was like, insulted, Brian. Like. I'm not one of these Johnny-come-lately fantasy hockey players that, oh, sorts by the previous week and then decides, oh, this guy's scoring. Well, you got to look into the context. And with Bobby Ryan specifically, yeah, he's on the second line, but he's been there all season, and he's had a bad season. He has 18 points in 38 games. It's not as if he's in a new, exciting situation. It's not like Jake Gensel, you know, you get interested in because you see, oh, wow, now in the top six before he wasn't. Also, he hasn't been taking many shots on goal. He used to be a shots guy. Now he's not. He's on the second power play. He's not even on the first power play. So I feel like, no, I don't just look at, oh, he has some points over the last week. I want to see the whole picture. Mainly my things are I want to see some production. I want to see shots on goal. And I want to see power play time and really good line mates. I'm not really seeing any of those things from Bobby Ryan aside from some points in the last few games. Okay, but Bobby Ryan has also been just about a 55-point player for the last several years. So when somebody like him, even though the shots are missing, I agree That's a warning sign to me. But if you compare him to the rest of your free agent pool, like in deep leagues, like my cupful division, he was available until he got picked up today. But Bobby Ryan on a small role remains a better bet than a lot of the other flash in the pen type and role playing guys who may be out there for comparison. You know, if you're trying to pick up one guy over the other, it's not every day that you have a guy who was a 55 point scorer as recently as last year and has done it for the last several available as an option over these 40 45 point guys who just happen to be on a short run or in a good deployment situation because of injuries or just randomness you know what brian that's a very good point maybe i'm too sensitive (laughs) i think (laughs) i think i know which i think you think that i think you only like guys actually i don't know yeah yeah, I thought that you think that I think... No, I'm just kidding. But no, I was under the impression that you were saying, oh, you just like guys who are on hot streaks. I like to look deeper. But obviously, you've looked deeper, and you think Bobby Ryan's someone who I should be looking deeper and th- seeing well, so many previous years of success. So that means that his hot streak is worth more than someone who's just coming out of nowhere and doing it, which is fair. But he's also been kind of a disappointment for a while. So I'm over him. Yeah. Boring. Don't pick him up. Yeah, it's been a bad season for him. It's just relative to other free agent upside. He could look like a good ad, but you're right, Elon. He's not doing any of the other things that you'd expect to produce good goal scoring aside from ending up with ones on the score sheet in the goals or assists column for a few games now. And he's not getting that really high-end deployment that you could hope for continued. I want to point out, though, like a deflection is still a skilled 
play. Like he positioned himself. It could have been a set play. That could have been the way the play was supposed to go. I, I feel like you shouldn't take anything away from him because his goal today was scored on a deflection. Yeah, that was yesterday, actually. Today, Ottawa lost 7-6 to six to the Blue Jackets in overtime. So Ottawa scored six goals and Bobby Ryan had no points. So, you know, typical. Let's move on. Okay, so we've got some hot streaks and cold streaks to end the show. Let's start in St. Louis. Everything is upside down in St. Louis. Jaden Schwartz now has nine points in his last seven games. Alex Steen has eight points in his last seven games. Paul Stasny with six points in his last seven games. So these three guys who we've called snoozers or cold streak guys throughout the seasons at different points, now they're doing great. And the one thing we said, the one constant on St. Louis was always, you just want the guy playing with Tarasenko because that's really the person who's going to be helping you get offense. Tarasenko's on the cold streak now. He has only three assists over the last couple of weeks, seven games, only three assists for Vladimir Tarasenko. So I have no idea what's happening there. But I just will say, Schwartz, Steen, and Stasny, they've been on the line together. They're doing great. A lot of people in our Facebook group were very concerned about Alex Steen. I know a couple of people, one in particular I have in mind, dropped him, and I wonder if he's regretting it now because he is doing fantastically, like I said, over a point per game over the last couple of weeks. Great to see that people playing away from Tarasenko can produce. Now all we need is for Tarasenko to bounce back, and we could have a good team here, except they're going to need some goaltending. And so maybe we should talk about that. But maybe before we do that, Brian, any thoughts on any of these forwards on St. Louis? Yeah, I mean, the baffling business of being a forward in St. Louis continues. We've got Jaden Schwartz, who's now up to 11 shots in his last five games while he's been putting up these points. And that's a small victory because he had so many ones and zeros in the run-up to that And I'm not sure anything has changed a whole lot. He's just shooting now. Alex Steen, the shots still haven't returned for him, and I don't expect they will. So this could be an opportunity for you to sell high if you weren't able to earlier this year before his value tanked completely. Of course, you won't be able to sell as high as you would have been able to if you tried to get rid of him in the first few weeks of the season. But I also wouldn't be foolish enough to expect that he's returning to those levels at the start of the season two. This is just he's getting a couple points. His shots have totally dried up, though, which is the reason a lot of people, including me, like to draft him. Yeah, but hey, at least he's on that top power play with like Schwartz and Stasny and Tarasenko. I actually posted on our Facebook group, like, finally, things are at least back to normal in St. Louis. The top power play has been Stasny, Schwartz. Steen, Tarasenko, and Shattenkirk. That's how things should be, right? These are the best guys on the team. Enough of this, like, Fabry and Perron. Like, these are good secondary players, but I'll be curious to see. Obviously, they're going to shake things around all over again, just like they have with the goaltending. So Jake Allen and Carter Hutton have been brutal. We talked about them last week and how badly they've been playing. Allen actually didn't end up traveling with the team for their game against Winnipeg yesterday. They called up Phoenix Copley to play. And he let in five goals on 29 shots. So maybe some people thought, oh, maybe Copley will have a chance to do something. Obviously, I didn't really know who he was, but he didn't prove himself. I don't know if it's the team that sucks or these goalies that just aren't very good. But I guess we're back to square one at this point. Like, is this good news for the Jake Allen owners that at least no one's been able to take the job from him? And since he was the de facto number one to start the year, it's sort of like his turn to try to once again be good. Or is it like just drop all those St. Louis guys and forget about it? Like, it's crazy. St. Louis used to be a team where you want to have the starting goalie because they're going to be so good. Even if they're not a good goalie, the team is going to help them play well and get good numbers. Nothing's really changed on the team in terms of the personnel. Like, yeah, they lost David Backus, but overall they have most of the same pieces as last year where Allen and Elliot were both really good. It's like, what's going on with this goalie situation? Do you want any of these guys on your team right now if you can get them? Obviously you could buy low on any of them right now if you wanted. I still want Jake Allen just not to be my number one or maybe even number two guy. But I think at the end of the day, when this all 
wraps up this whole goaltending thing and they somehow get back on track, I think Allen will be the guy in the crease. At least he's the in-house solution unless they look elsewhere and try and bring in some outside help as they did a few years back. Do you remember when they brought in Ryan Miller and they even signed Marty Brodeur a few years ago too? So they have a history of bringing randomly in guys from outside their organization to try and solve goaltending issues. I don't know if that's what happens here. If they don't, Jake Allen is going to be okay. He's always been up and down, but he's never been this far down and he's never been down for this long, but I'm convinced he's still their best option. They can try to look to Hutton and Copley to see what they've got. But at this point, I don't think those two are as likely to turn in good performances as Allen is. Copley, eh? Okay. I guess I pronounced it wrong. I, I actually, Copley. I even added the pronunciation to your, oh. to your side. Eh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> Next hot streak, let's go to Minnesota. Our random red-hot Minnesota player of the week is Nino Niederreiter. Out of nowhere, he has five goals and three assists in his last six games. Yesterday, he was playing with Stahl and Coyle, and actually Minnesota's playing today. So let's check out those lines so far. Mid-game, you just go to Dauber Hockey Frozen Pools, and you can see the current line combo is so handy. And yeah, Niederreiter, Stahl, and Coyle have been line one today. You've got Granlin. Oh, they've shifted things around quite a bit. Okay, but Parisi's been with Howla and Pominville. So that's like the underlying news here is that Zach Parisi is not on a great line. Oh yeah, Miku Koivu's injured. So yeah, Koivu was centering Granlin and Zucker, but apparently he's ill. Hopefully it's just a small thing. Usually when it's an illness, they'll be back the next game or two. But anyways, yeah, Parisi's basically on line three right now. So that's crazy. So first I'll just talk about Niederreiter. Like I said, he's on a good line. He's basically on the top line right now with like Eric Stahl, who's turned out to be the all-star Eric Stahl stall that he was a few seasons back on carolina and charlie coyle's having an amazing season it was a great situation for niederreiter he's putting up a lot of points he takes a lot of shots i think he gets hits so if you're in a league that counts that like just all great news for niederreiter i guess the big question is has he bumped zach parisi like is zach parisi not that good anymore like he was actually on a five game pointless streak before yesterday when he got one assist so whatever yeah howla scored a couple of goals and he got an assist on one of them but yeah like parisi five game pointless streak before yesterday even though minnesota has been scoring a ton of goals and he was on that top line no more than two shots on goal also in each of the past six games only 21 points on 36 games on the season which is only a 48 point pace so is Zach Parisi done? Like, is there a reason to expect him to bounce back now that he's not only slow, but also out of the top six? And then I guess you could also comment on Niederreiter. I feel like he's someone that you have to add if he's somehow available. Yeah, Niederreiter would make a great add right now. Going to Parisi, the one assist in his last six games, it's even more alarming when you realize that the Wild has scored 27 goals in that span. That's 27 goals for the Wild without Zach Parisi getting a point on them, or sorry, only getting one point by the time it was all over. He has 10 shots in his last six games, and that's also alarming. Normally, you could count on him to have nearly double that amount in that much time. Boudreau got mad at him a few games ago uh, when he was playing with Saul and Pominville for mistakes they made in the third period collapse. And then Boudreau has now just moved on to talking about him working his way out of a slump, how he doesn't actually see Parisi's line as being the third line, and we know Minnesota's got a top nine, but it's pretty clear with his line mates that he is not getting the best possible deployment and the best possible place to play with. His time on ice has been below 17 minutes just a handful of times this year, and that's something else that's happened recently. Uh, less of a role on the power play this year. He has only 86 minutes with the men advantage so far, which is far off the pace of the 220-plus minutes he saw last year on the power play. The thing is, in the bigger picture... He seems to still be doing most things right when you look at, say, his shot rates and his shot attempt rates. I think that this is just a funk 
that he's going to work his way out of. And once he does, then you're looking at Jason Zucker or Nino Niederreiter being pushed out of the top six. Cause I, I think that is his spot. I think he belongs up there. The Parisi stall Pominville line lasted for a little while. I feel like that makes sense as a line to work together. And speaking, Elon, you brought up Nino Niederreiter as the random red hot Minnesota wild. How about Jason Pominville, who we've barely mentioned on the show this year. This might be his first positive mention of the year. Two goals, seven assists for nine points in eight games and counting. That includes tonight's current game against Nashville. 16 shots in that time, two power play assists. Things are going well for him in the top six right now. Yeah, Pominville also out of nowhere doing something. He's more of a boring guy to me. Like, I'm going to have to see a lot more before I get excited about him after he totally let us down over the past couple of years when we were telling people, yeah, he's Jason Pominville. He's good. I wonder if we're going to get to that point with Zach Parisi. But yeah, right now, both of them are playing on a line together with Eric Haula. And Haula, like I said, scored a couple of goals yesterday. So who knows if maybe they could get something going and make themselves more than just a third line. But definitely concerning some interesting questions in the chat room, the types that Brian, you love. Like someone wants to know, Joe, he's asking if he should drop Parisi for Anders Lee in a hits league. I know Anders Lee gets some hits. It's a tough one, right? Parisi should be better than Anders Lee. I feel like I wouldn't make that switch unless it's a very shallow league and you can get similar guys like that back because Parisi obviously has more upside. Then a question I was actually going to ask you, Brian, who would you like better of, you know, all the guys we've talked about, the Buchnevich, I guess you had him as your top guy right now, the ones we're talking about. Would you rather him or Nino Niederreiter? I'll take Nino Niederreiter, at least in the short term, just because I know a little bit more about what I'm going to get from him than I do about Buchnevich. I was talking about not seeing a lot although it is really appealing who he is playing with I'm not sure which one falls out of their top six sooner I guess that would be what really decides it for me so maybe maybe I do go back to Buchnevich yeah I think it kind of depends what you're looking for like Niederreiter gives you some maybe more peripherals but Buchnevich is on the top power play or not on the top power play but they sort of run two power plays on the Rangers so I think I would go with Buchnevich as a long-term guy but maybe Niederreiter if I'm just looking at someone for the next couple of weeks Okay, next team, I want to talk about the Calgary Flames and Dougie Hamilton, who has eight points in those last eight games on Calgary. How awesome is Dougie Hamilton? We love him. We've been talking about him forever. Mostly good. He's had little cold stretches over the past couple of years that maybe we've become a little concerned about. But in general, we're always very high on him. And at this point, he's really like breaking out. I feel like at this point, he's the best defenseman on Calgary, for fantasy at least. I think I'd rather Hamilton than Giordano at this point. Giordano has 22 points in 49 games on the season. Hamilton has 30 in 48. So a huge difference in Hamilton and Giordano's output. Am I crazy for saying at this point, I'm kind of not giving up on Giordano, but I'd like Hamilton more if I had the option. Not crazy. Mark Giordano, you mentioned the last eight games, so I'll go with the same time frame. Giordano has four points in his last eight, which isn't bad. He had started to bounce back, and this still counts towards that effort of bouncing back from a really tough start that he's had for his owners. It's hard to choose between the two. I may finally lean to Dougie Hamilton since him and Giordano, the plus side for Giordano used to be, well, he's on that top power play unit alone, but he and Hamilton are sharing the same power play duties on a three forward, two defenseman setup with the still very hot three M line when they do get out with the man advantage. So the deciding factor to me between the two is who is the one that potentially supplants TJ Brody on the quote unquote top unit where there are four forwards and one defenseman. My money's on Giordano, but the odds are pretty even at this point. And while we're talking about that, Elon, TJ Brody, just one assist in his last nine, still had top power play duties heading into their most recent game too. So that situation not working out so well. Yeah, I actually added Brody in one league in our league against each other. That was kind of dumb. 
I am kind of embarrassed to admit I dropped Oscar Clefbaum because I wanted the guy on the power play. That was obviously dumb because Clefbaum's doing really well. I kind of regret this move, but hopefully Subban, now that he's back, and Carlson, I won't need all these defensemen once everyone is healthy. Anyway, okay, actually, on Calgary, you know, a lot of these people are getting points right now, like Monaghan, Backlund, Frolik, Kachuk. They're all doing great lately. One guy who's not doing great on the Flames is Johnny Gaudreau. He just has two assists in his last seven games. So I assume this is just a random slump, like what I just said before about Panarin should obviously apply to Goudreau. Though, I mean, it can't help that he's playing with Chiasson and Bennett. Like, those were his line mates yesterday. Meanwhile, Monaghan gets Verstegen Brower, who aren't too bad, and Kachuk, Backlund, and Frolik are obviously with each other. So Johnny Goudreau, yeah, on the top power play, but his line mates, it looks kind of like a third line. It's like kind of a Zach Parisi situation. What's going on with Goudreau? Just a random slump? Or is it something people should actually be worried about moving forward for the rest of the season? I don't think there's something to worry about long-term. I don't love that he's playing on the third line, but I guess if you want to split Monhen and Gaudreau, you don't have a choice anymore now that you have that 3M line clicking so well. They're off limits, so Monahan is going to get Brower and Versig, and Gaudreau gets the rest of the riffraff, which includes Alex Chason, and we should point out Sean Monahan doing just fine. Eight points in his last eight games, five goals, three assists, and 29 shots in that span. Yeah, I think in a situation like this, I guess same with Panarin. If someone is really short-sighted, try to buy low on these guys. Like Johnny Gaudreau's amazing. Convince the Gaudreau owner right now that, oh man, look at which line he's on. Send them for the first time the link to Dabber Hockey's Frozen Pools to show them how bad their line is. And then say, and he's doing cold and he's not going to bounce back because now he's on a bad line. Maybe you could get Johnny Gaudreau for a steal. Who knows? If you can't get him now, you probably never can. Uh, okay, a guy on a good line is Frank Vetrano over in Boston who moved up to the top line and scored two goals on six shots on Wednesday versus Detroit. So that's pretty amazing for Vetrano who bumped David Pasternak, who I'll get to in a second. But, you know, playing with Marchand and Bergeron is obviously an amazing situation. Nothing on Friday versus Chicago. Nothing today versus Pittsburgh. So I wonder how long the situation will last. Brian, are you excited about Frank Vetrano right now as a potential free agent pickup if he's still available? Like, you know, I think he's similar to the Gensels and maybe below the Buchnieviches. But, like, you know, I think Gensel is a similar guy in a great situation, a rookie. Do you think that Vetrano could hold this spot and produce? I don't think so. And part of that is because he's not doing much with his time on the top line lately. He had that game where he had two goals on six shots. And generally, he's good for a couple hits and a couple shots. But I feel like there are enough guys outside the top six that should be there, namely David Backus and Ryan Spooner, that Vetrano's stay, as well as Tim Schallers, Scholars, Scalers, whatever his last name, however it's pronounced. I, I don't know how much longer they stay in the top six, unless this is some way they think they're balancing their lineup. I wonder if this is at all related to Claude Julien apparently being on the hot seat. That's pure speculation. I think in a normal world, I wouldn't expect Vitrano to be on that top line much longer, especially with another goose egg or two going on his game log. Yeah, they'll probably have to shake things up after a brutal 5-1 loss to Pittsburgh today, though it didn't help that Tuka Rask left midway with a migraine and Zane McIntyre is clearly not a very good goalie. He led in a ton of goals and that game just got away from them. But okay, yeah, I mentioned that Pasternak got bumped because of Vetrano's promotion. So Pasternak down to line two with Krejci and I'm going to say Schaller. I think it's pretty obviously Schaller. I don't know why it would be anything else, Brian. But anyway... Pasternak's kind of in a slump. He had an assist today, but he hasn't scored a goal since December 14th, which is over a month ago. So that's very concerning for someone who, at one point, people were asking, is Pasternak going to score 40 this year? He was on that pace, but has completely fallen off of that. He actually only has eight assists now in his last 16 games and no goals, like I said. So he's been a half point per game guy, I guess. Like, is the magic season over for Pasternak? 
He's down now to 33 points in 42 games, which is a 64-point pace and falling, though actually I'm not including today's assist. So anyways, around a 64, 65-point pace at this point. What do we expect from him for the rest of the season? Is he a 65-point guy as he currently stands? Is he going to go back to how high he was before, or is he going to fall even further? Look, he still has 34 shots over his last 10 games and seven assists as well. So the sky isn't falling. Yes, the goals have dried up, but his shooting percentage on the season is still at 13%, which is now in line with career numbers. Remember that even looking at his shot counts this year, he's made a huge improvement with his few shots a game that he's getting or more than that. Last couple of years, he had two shots on goal per game only. So more shots is still going to mean more goals. I think a 55-point pace would be nice the rest of the way. I still think he could get to 60. A great buy-low candidate if you can sell the right guy high. Alex Steen for David Pasternak. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, or for Goudreau, or for maybe Zach Parisi. Steen versus Parisi, what do you think about that one? I would prefer Parisi. I think he's going to start shooting again, and I really don't think Steen will. Interesting. Huh, I wonder why. They're both kind of at similar points in their career, I would think. And interestingly, since we're still on Boston, like you mentioned, Bacchus is down to the bottom six. He was playing with Spooner and Riley Nash in the last game. He actually has one assist in his last five games now. I wonder if we're close to snoozer territory on Bacchus. So I guess you're saying that you think that Vetrano will get bumped at some point and maybe Schaller and Bacchus gets into the top six. But Brian, we have Bacchus in our joint league. We recently dropped Yarmir Yager to pick up Arvidsson, who was dropped. And I definitely don't regret that move. But I wonder if maybe we dropped the wrong guy. I, we also have Mantha. So I guess Bacchus and Mantha are our two bottom guys. I wonder if maybe Bacchus is someone we have to look at as on the hot seat, especially since also one guy in free agency who I'm very excited about that I feel like no one gives enough credit to is Tyler Bozak. He's still there in free agency for us. He scored again yesterday. He has five goals in his last seven games. He has 30 points in 41 games on the season, which is a 60-point pace. He's been with JVR and Marner all season at even strength and on the power play. Like, why is he still a free agent in our joint league? Why were you able to pick him up in your Cacupful division just this weekend as a free agent? Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Brian, should we be dropping Bacchus for him ASAP next week? Bozak had been recently dropped, so I was just able to jump in on him before I guess anyone else was ready to. Whether I prefer him over Bacchus, well, Bacchus on the third line, he's not doing a whole lot. His minutes are down, and the hits also aren't there. So if your league counts those, I mean, I think Bacchus will eventually start producing those again. But if both are available in free agency, I'd rather go with Bozak until Bacchus's role increases again. Bozak, happily, is still enjoying the effects of Phil Kessel leaving him. It was supposed to be a really bad thing for him, but his own individual shot attempt numbers have gone up in the two years since Phil Kessel has left. He's also seeing substantially more unblocked shot attempts for while he's on the ice in the Babcock era than he was seeing in the Carlisle era. He has high shooting percentages, so some regression is due. And he's a funny guy for on-ice shooting percentage. He goes between sixes and tens with very little in between. Like most players we expect to be ah, eight or nine. He's currently just shy of 11%, which would actually be just the second highest on ice shooting percentage of his career. So some regression is due. This run he's on has been fantastic. It's not going to last this way, but he's still going to be a fantasy relevant player for the rest of the season, in my opinion, with the line mates he's getting. One interesting question I thought I'd post to you, Elon, is would you prefer Tyler Bozak or Connor Brown? I would take Bozak, I think. I feel like he's on this line. He's doing really well. Yeah, Connor Brown is on the Austin Matthews line, which is amazing. 
But Bozak's just been so solid for so long. Like, it's not like he's on a 60-point pace due to some amazing surge. Like, yeah, he's kind of surging lately, but he's been just solid all season long. I feel like we're not giving him the credit he deserves. I think he's going to continue to be around this pace moving forward, like maybe a 55-point pace. Connor Brown, I could see him maybe having more upside, but I don't know. I feel like Connor Brown's upside is kind of where Tyler Bozak already is. Yeah, I guess Bozak, as long as he has great line mates, I guess Connor Brown's appeal is that he plays with Austin Matthews, but Bozak can do a little more by himself at this point, and he also has pretty good guys to play with. Yeah, JVR and Marner is just fine. Like, maybe they're not Austin Matthews, but I feel like James Van Reems, like, at least this year, is really, really awesome and at least somewhat comparable to Austin Matthews, and Mitch Marner is definitely no chump. Okay, Brian, let's move over to Edmonton. I wasn't planning on bringing him up, but I guess I have to. Jordan Everly, two goals and two assists yesterday versus Calgary. Also had a goal and one assist in his last three games before that. We talked about him last week as someone we were very concerned about. You said, don't worry about it. You were right. Like, it looks like he's good again. Though I'm going to suggest that maybe, you know, this game versus Calgary was insane and the goalies were both really bad. Like, both Elliott and Johnson kind of blew it. So I wonder if now's the time to, as fast as you can, try to sell high on Everly before he starts snoozing again, because I still don't have much faith with him not playing on the McDavid line. Even after what I said in the last week, or was it the week before? Yeah, I don't know. I just, uh, something about Everly this season hasn't excited me, but I guess you're right. So you say that you were expecting this, and obviously you got it right so far. You think moving forward, Everly's going to be just fine and be like a 60-point guy? Yeah, maybe that's a little high. I mean, the lack of depth and balance on the Edmonton roster certainly hurts him, but I don't think it should be hurting him as much as it has been. I also think you're overstating this episode how often I'm right about things. I think I'm not infrequently wrong is how I'm going to phrase it. And I think sometimes you're right and I'm wrong. I just want to get that out there. Yeah, I mean, don't be so humble. You're the expert. People are listening to you because they think that you know what you're talking about. And you were right about Everly, at least for one week. Anyone who picked Everly up or decided not to drop because of what you said last week obviously has you to thank for all the points that they got recently. And I guess you could go and listen to the previous episode if you haven't or if you forgot to hear why Brian thinks that Everly is still good. Okay, we were going to talk about Bobby Ryan next, but obviously we've done that. While we were on Ottawa, I wanted to mention Mike Condon, who... I feel like we blew it with him, right? Like, we assumed he was bad. He was really bad last year on Montreal. Then we saw him going to Ottawa, and he was on a short, good run. And I remember both of us thought, eh, well, I mean, you know, he'll probably blow up. Like, we saw what happened in Montreal last year. But maybe you can't just always be like, eh, we saw what happened last year, so forget about it. Like, with Anisimov, I remember we also have a lot of times been like, oh, we saw what happened last year. He can't be good. And actually, maybe we're right about that. So I don't mean to say that's always wrong. Maybe it's not always right, though, because Mike Condon has done really well while Anderson's been away. Of course, Condon had a bad game today, so maybe at this point you might say everything is moot. But I want to point out, going into today, he had a 921 save percentage on the season, which is very good, helping keep the Sens in the playoff hunt. Word is, though, that Craig Anderson and his 924 save percentage will be back with the team either late January or early February, and he's going to stay there for the rest of the season. So I wonder what is going to happen with the Ottawa goalie situation. Like, I would think that Craig Anderson just steps in and becomes the number one goalie for sure. But is there any controversy there because of how well Mike Condon has been? No way. Zero controversy. Especially for the reasons that Craig Anderson left. I don't think he's going to have to work very hard to earn back his job. Also, because he is the better goalie. The Sens are funny this year because their early success was largely because Craig Anderson was playing over his head. And then when Mike Condon came in, and yeah, we looked at what happened last year. He had a great start with Montreal, and the wheels fell off completely. But that hasn't happened in Ottawa. Like, he's been up and down a few times, but mostly up, and he's stolen some games for them. And, of course, today it was a team effort in giving up seven goals to Columbus. They do seem to have 
solved some of the defensive issues that plagued the team in the past couple of years, but they still also persist those defensive issues to an extent. So the goalies definitely have their work cut out for them. If you're really pumped for Craig Anderson to come back and continue putting up a 924 or whatever he's at right now, I think you really do need to temper your expectations and expect league average goaltending. Anything on top of that is a gift. Okay, but definitely now is your time to either sell high on Condon or buy low on Anderson if you know you're in either of those situations and you could benefit because Anderson's going to be back. And I agree with you, Brian. Like he's the starting goalie, and Condon, you know, will be a backup. I think he'll play more than you know. Last year, Craig Anderson would play almost every game because Ottawa didn't really have a good backup. Hammond obviously wasn't cutting it. Condon has shown that he is a guy that they could rely on to take the back-to-backs, maybe give Anderson a rest if he's tired having played a bunch of games in a row. So I don't think Anderson's going to be the workhorse like he was last year. Clearly, Condon has been fine, but I agree with you that Anderson's the for sure number one starter. One more goalie I want to bring up, Brian. Before we end the show, Ryan Miller, he's having a fantastic season. He's got a 919 save percentage, 14 wins in 28 games, which is very good considering he's on Vancouver. And I know we got a tweet that one time that we say bad things about Vancouver too much. So I will just say Ryan Miller, he's a really good goalie, at least this year. He actually killed me this week in the couple with a 30 save shutout against Nashville and then a 34 save two to one win over Florida. Of course, my opponent had him. He's also doing well today in a game against Chicago. It's currently tied 2-2 and Miller's got a 929 save percentage going, 26 saves out of 28 shots. You know, Brian, we always have been talking about how he's kind of not good anymore. Like, obviously, he used to be really good. I remember him on Team USA really helping that team be good in the Olympics and whatever. But, like, is it possible that Ryan Miller is good again? Or is he someone who you expect to totally blow up before the end of the season? Short answer, Ryan Miller, not actually good again. He has definitely beat back Jacob Markstrom, though. Markstrom was challenging for a bit and getting some games. And now Markstrom gets a game each week if he's lucky. So if you've been holding marks, it might be time to let him go and just wait for his next opportunity to shine. Once Ryan Miller does come down from his current high. But why do you say that he's not good? You got to give me a reason. Oh my God. Well, I mean, he's doing so well. You can't just be like, no, he's not good. <laughs> he's got a 919 save percentage <laughs> on the like, season. That's above league average. But like you've bottom. co-hosted this show with me for the last four or five years, right? Or however long it's been. Yeah. But not everyone who's listening has listened to every single show. Okay, fair enough. Um, I don't know. He's just not a good goalie. He's been league average, I guess. And right now he's 919, which would be his highest end of season save percentage. If the season ended today, that would be his highest save percentage to end a year in the last six years and would actually be the second highest season ending save percentage of his career, which is a hard thing to believe about Ryan Miller, who a lot of us you know, thought is a super rock steady guy in Buffalo. But he's never quite been as good as he's been made out to be. And I think that's especially the case as he is now 36 and a half years old. So I think he's been really fortunate to put up a 919. And last year he put up a 916. So maybe I don't give him enough credit for that. Ryan Miller is still a decent NHL goalie. How about that? Well, you started this rant saying he's a bad goalie. You've upgraded him (laughs) to a decent NHL goalie. I think that's fine. That means that I kind of blew it for not picking him up in the couple when he was dropped earlier this year because I could have used a decent NHL goalie. But anyways, I think you're also saying that if people have him and they're excited about him right now, maybe it's time to sell high because maybe this current run is not sustainable. So see what you can get for Ryan Miller right now before it's too late. You know, the Lungfist owner is probably freaking out. Even though Lungfist got a shutout today, so I wonder if the door is closed there. But I wonder if you could pull something off like that with Ryan Miller. I wonder. I wonder if you might feel more urgency to do it if you happen to own Cam Ward and go find someone in your league 
who has not been paying attention. Cam Ward, just one start in his last 10 games that's been above a 9.17 save percentage. Six of those last 10 have seen him finish the game with a save percentage below 8.90. If you've been relying on Cam Ward to get you through your goalie categories all year and have been fortunate enough to have him carry you to the top of your standings or into contention and you think that's just going to be your plan for the rest of the season, your chickens may be coming home to roost. It might be time to really explore how you are going to survive a potential Cam Ward meltdown. Or should I say, a potential return to being Cam Ward for Cam Ward. Obviously, the thing with Cam Ward is as bad as he plays, there is nobody else that could play instead because Eddie Lack has obviously been bad. Even though we haven't seen him come back to actually play a game since he was healed from his concussion. I think he's injured again. Michael Layton was called up recently. I don't expect much from him. So Cam Ward's going to be your workhorse starter. If you're in a league that counts saves, probably not many people better than Cam Ward for that category. But yeah, obviously he's on a very cold run right now. Brian Miller or Cam Ward for the rest of the year? Carolina's going to win more. Ryan Miller will probably put up better numbers. So take the one that meets your needs the best, depending on your format. I'd go with Miller for what it's worth. (laughs) Good. Yeah, sure. Okay, well, this has been a great episode. I've been having a lot of fun. Hopefully you listening enjoyed it and found some good tidbits of players you might want to add or consider dropping from your teams. You are heading into the Fantasy Hockey Playoffs and we will be right there with you all the way through it all. So definitely, you know, subscribe on iTunes. We're going to keep doing this every Sunday to the end of the season. If you like the show, tweet at us at Keeping Carlson. Let us know. Follow us, all of that stuff. You can give us a five-star review on iTunes. We'd love that. For the patrons, we've got a patron cast this Thursday. It's going to be a lot of fun. For those of you who don't know, we have this patron program. You could sign up to be a member for $5 a month. You support the show that you're enjoying. And also you get great perks like joining our patron-only Facebook group and having access to our monthly patron casts where we do a whole episode just like this, except instead of me planning the show, the patrons give me the questions and then Brian and I discuss them while I drink some beers. Always a lot of fun. That's going to be this Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So it's not too late to sign up to become a patron. In time to have access to that patron cast. But with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dabra Hockey and supported by our patrons, including some of our newer ones, Jordan, Sniped It, a couple guys named Chris, and Gabriel. Thank you so much for your support. This episode was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, Corsica, Hockey Analysis, Hockey Viz, Hockey Reference, Hockey Database, PuckOn.net, Elite Prospects, Roto World, and Fantrax. Great job as always, Brian. Thanks to everyone who joined us in the chat room, and we will catch you all again next week, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, keepingcarlson.com slash live. Until then, what should people do, Brian? I believe they should keep on keeping Carlson.